0: and welcome back to Get Outside With Kids. On today's show, we're welcoming some guests from the other side of the world and we're joining us from a totally different time zone. And as soon as you hear their accents, I bet you'll know where they're from. We're very honored to have Kate's wonderful parents here joining us all the way from Australia on the show today to share some of their amazing tips of
1: raising three wonderful children and what it was maybe like to parent a little bit back then. It is pretty exciting to have my mom and dad here on the podcast and particularly because today is a very, very special day for them. Today is... Is their 50th wedding anniversary. That's right, 5-0 and they're celebrating in Australia and so really excited to have my mum and dad here on the podcast. Welcome mum and dad to everybody else, they're called Sue and Peter. Welcome <laughs> to the podcast mum and dad, thanks for being here.
2: Thanks Kate.
1: Thanks Kate, it's lovely to be here. Yeah, well first off let's just say congratulations because 50
0: years that's a heck of a long time, uh, you know, to be married with another and have such a wonderful relationship. So, congratulations to you both. And why don't we take it back to 50 years? Let's do a bit of a, a way back playback to start. We did this with a previous guest on the show where she kind of asked us to envision what our childhood was like growing up and when a time when we were really immersed in play outside, if that happened to be the place, and what that looked like. So maybe we'll do that exercise since we have, you know, another generation here on the podcast with us tonight. And I want you to think back to a time in your own childhood growing up, when you were having a blast outside, playing some of your friends. Paint us a picture of what that looked like for you growing up. And Sue, maybe I'll start with you first.
3: Um, Well, Jen, I grew up in in the 50s in the UK on a farm in Dorset. So I spent most of my life outside, I guess, most of the days when I was at home outside with my father. I was his right-hand person and I absolutely loved being outside. We had tents. We used to camp outside in the paddocks quite often on the weekends, that sort of thing. Um, We made cubbies all over our farm. We rode horses. And yeah, it was a very outdoorsy sort of upbringing, I guess. Awesome. Well, Pete, why don't we turn it over to you
0: and tell us a little bit about your childhood and what that looked like growing up where you were.
2: Well, where I grew up was in a um, a middle sort of lower socioeconomic suburb. And uh, there were no fences and there were no boundaries. And we were allowed to roam wherever we wanted from a pretty early age and not far from where... I lived there was just bush with swamps and lakes, and I used to go down there with my mate on a Saturday afternoon. We just splash around in the lakes and look for teddies, tadpoles, and uh, and we just had a glorious time. It was a, it was a wilderness area that we're, and mum and dad ne- never seemed to worry about us, and we didn't get into any terrible trouble, so it was great fun.
1: I guess I'm kind of interested as. your daughter. When you had kids yourselves then um, in the late 70s and early 80s, how did that impact, how did those kind of upbringings from your generation kind of impact how you wanted to raise your kids and what was different in the 80s, do you think, already than what was different from when you were growing up in the 50s in the UK and in
3: Australia? Okay, I have a little story that probably illustrates some of the difference. When I was living as a child on, a, on our farm, when I was probably about eight years old, um, I had a friend who lived on the neighbouring farm and her mother, I used to go over there, her mother would give us a basket with some potatoes and a box of matches and and we, and we a packet of sausages and we would go off and, and she'd say, I'll see you later on, dears. And we'd go off on the farm and make a little fire and... We'd cook the sausages and we'd put the potatoes in the embers and we'd sit out there. Jen's face right now. <laughs> and we'd put the fire out, and that would be that would be a fun day. So oh my gosh! I guess can you? We we'll never let you guys do anything like that because things <laughs> by the eighties, we were all all being a little bit more careful with our children.
0: What a great story! I mean, Kate, can you imagine? I mean, our oldest children right now are only five, so not quite eight. But I certainly can't imagine in a few years being like, "Here's some raw food. Make yourself a fire <laughs> in the woods." Somewhere safely and return to us. I I love that story. I think that's such a great illustration of like very different times, even from the fifties to to raising your own kids. Um, I love it. That's awesome.
1: Can you tell us about when you had little kids and you wanted to travel? Because you know, right after you got married, exactly fifty years ago today, um, it, you both you traveled a lot and you didn't have kids for about seven years after that. And it seems like to me as your kid again weird but as your kid it seems like you didn't really want to give up the traveling and the exploring the world um how did you maybe you can take people through like what that looked like for you um raising your three kids and where you chose to live and how you chose to travel and the sorts of the sorts of trips you were doing with newborns and toddlers um all over the world
3: the first trip that we did was um, with children was when Tim was two, nearly two, was he? Uh, and we went to Canada in nineteen eight the end of nineteen eighteen. I was pregnant with Anna, and we spent two years in Toronto. Anna was born in the in the um, a couple of months after we arrived, and we did our, did our first trip right across Canada in a camping in a uh, a combi the following year. So, Pete, probably you could talk a little bit more about that trip because that was a great trip, wasn't it? Right across to the west coast to Vancouver, and then back again across the prairies. And I can remember Canadians saying to us, "You're doing what with a couple of young kids? And why would you go across the prairies because it's so boring?" But we had that was our first wonderful trip with children. I think it
2: was great fun. It was very easy. We had no problems with the, the kids on long trips. They seemed just they got so used to the fact that we we're never going to stop. In fact, if they, uh, I had a rule as the driver, is that we would not stop for toilets. So they had to sit on the potty in the car, and then <laughs> um, and then. Even for more than, you know, and, and then we would uh, eventually when they were finished, we, I'd stop the car, open the, sort of open the door and we'd just chuck it out in the bush and then we'd keep going. Sounds
0: <laughs> like a little harsh parenting standards on those side of things. I don't, if, if anyone's listening in, please do not throw your child's waste out of a uh, moving vehicle. fine. <laughs> <anytime. laughs> Not You're not allowed recommend. to sit on the
2: potty in a moving vehicle anymore. Also, either. yeah,
0: also don't unbuckle <laughs> your child. I guess, well, that brings us to were there even car seats, I guess, at that time? That would have been the early 80s, like you said. Did your kids even have car seats at that time?
2: There was, we took a car seat uh, with us from Australia, but uh, the baby would just be in a cot on the floor because there was no uh, there were no capsules for babies in those days. I
1: think also it sounds to me like Australia, and I know that was in Canada, but in Australia, car seats took a while to catch up to the rest of the world anyway, based on what some of my friends said about sitting in booster seats, that kind of thing in Canada versus Australia. But I guess I, I actually had never thought about the fact that you did that with Anna as a baby because you also did other trips that I was thinking more of with my older two siblings in Africa, for example. And, you know, I know that when you were going through Africa with two little kids in the, again, probably early 80s, 1982 or something like that as well. And the the kinds of things you encountered there, can you tell us about that trip and what it was like traveling and camping? Were you camping in those trips? Uh, Traveling around Africa in the early 80s with two tiny kids.
2: If I could just start with that, we flew to, I, I said to Sue, where would you like to go on the way home, and we'd like to go to Africa. And uh, Tim was three and Anna was one, one and nearly two. And so we decided to go to Kenya for just staying wherever we could find accommodation. But when we arrived in Nairobi, we didn't bring any nappies, uh, diapers with us because uh, we couldn't didn't have enough space. So we went to the supermarket to buy some. And, of course, they didn't have disposable uh, nappies, as we call them. And so we bought a little green potty for Anna who was 22 months 20 no she was 20 20 months old and we just sat her on it and said please just use it. Good luck she, I was in the middle of a and game she park. She was wonderful. She <laughs> never had an accident. We were so lucky.
1: In the middle of a game park as in like where what lions or well, there stuff were
2: lions are? just up the road and things and uh and if she had to go uh we didn't have a camper van we we're just in a hire car so we had to get her out watch out for lions and make sure that uh, we weren't anywhere near them, which occasionally happened. We never saw them. And she she, she got through all right. I watch mean, out I for f- lions.
0: Okay. Like we recorded uh, with Pete Clarkson a recent episode that is live now. And I feel like parenting stories of your generation, like – they are just a whole different level. Pete also shared uh, quite a, a you know an over the top story with some of the children that he was watching at one time and getting sucked out in some rip currents. And like, you know, I love the way you guys are all so nonchalant. Like Pete's like, I mean, everybody almost drowned, but they didn't. You know, like mm-hmm. I mean, I almost lost a few, but we lived. And you guys, you know, the nonchalant of like, well, we showed up in Africa and there we were. And I feel like today, I feel like we've kind of lost that nonch that nonchalantness, maybe attitudes towards things because. I I feel like I'm. I'm feeling stressed just listening to this happening. What about a uh, lion
1: eating your toddler off the
3: potty? Like. <laughs> What could possibly go wrong? We have a photograph of, of Anna sitting on the potty. I think the word lions weren't their feet, there, Peter. There's some wildlife in the background, but they were a long way away, but they were c- certainly. Uh, at, there. Least
2: a, at least a kilometre away.
3: But we also took the kids to Mexico from Canada, and uh, we, I, I had actually done my master's at U of T in um, archaeology, and I was very keen to go and visit the Mayan sites, and um, we dragged. <laughs> We dragged Tim and Anna around, and they had to walk across all these Mayan sites while I basically, you know, examined them, and enjoyed them, and documented it all. It was very, very, very hot weather, very hot, dry weather. But we didn't camp there; we stayed in places at night. And we promised them that they could have a swim in a, a pool somewhere if they, <laughs> if they just kept walking through these sites all day.
2: Yeah, but Montezuma had his revenge in the end. And uh, the last day, Kate was uh, sorry. Anna was in the uh, car seat, and uh, she had let's say the most explosive accident you could imagine. <laughs> uh, and uh, in the street in uh, in a <laughs> town in Mexico and um, recovering from that uh, tested all our skills. That
1: was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Listening to you, as you say this, I think, you know, a lot of what you've said about just kind of rolling with the punches as well as something that sort of sat with me too. Like, The fact that you potty trained your kids super early because you had to, it's not about whether, you know, a lot of people talk now about whether their child is ready to potty train and that kind of thing. But like a lot of it is so parent driven and people think about whether their kid is ready to go camping or ready to travel the world with them. It's not really about the kid being ready. It's about the parent being ready to take on the challenges and feeling confident, which is a big step, feeling confident to be able to deal with an explosive situation in Mexico or a lion in Africa. You know, like there's these situations where it's really about parent confidence it's not about what the kid can or can't do because they're super adaptable and flexible.
3: Yeah, I guess so. I think you're much more considerate of your children these days than we were. We kind of made our children fit in with our plans and, and you know, Dad and I were very keen to keep travelling after we had children, and we did. You know, we had that, you know, the couple of years in Canada with lots of trips out from there, and then we came came back to Australia, and we went to live in Melbourne, where you were born, Kate, as you know. And we left Melbourne in 19. 19- 84 when you were five weeks old in a camper van to head right across Australia to come home to Perth so we basically finished up with work we bundled a whole lot of junk into the car we put the two kids in I think in car seats and you were on in your little bassinet on the floor of the camper van with a lot of stuff around <laughs> around you I picture we Kate went. just
0: like in a, like just sliding across the floor like you know like yeah. as the bassinet well, just sliding across in traffic on the winding roads road.
3: yeah
2: well there was a lot of junk on the floor so
0: there was some junk on the floor. I mean, you but were fine, Kate. You, that lived. Was me. you lived,
1: though. I was the you junk. Lived.
2: <laughs> I don't think Kate remembers it, but uh we decided, of <laughs> course, not to come back on the Bitumen Roads to go back through the Great Central Roads, where we had about a thousand k's of sandy four-wheel drive tracks, which were in a two-wheel drive car. We're lucky to get through. But and Kate wouldn't remember. But coming into Western Australia, probably seven eight hundred miles from the nearest. K -K km from the nearest town. We had to go over these sand dunes, so we I'd I'd gun the car up as fast as we could go to get over the top because you had to get up a long hill and then over. And one of them, we got to the top, and the there was no slope down the other side. It was almost a sheer drop, so the car (laughs) went over, launched through the air, came down on its nose, and and the sand went right over the roof and into the car uh, through the windows and. All of this, all of our luggage in the back came out over the kids and all over Kate, and so Kate was buried, and so we had to dig her out. And uh, I remember taking the margarine out of a cot and uh, see if she was all right. Uh, not only was she fine, but the car was fine, no damage, and so we just kept going.
1: You have never told me that story. <laughs> Any scars or bruises,
3: Kate? That maybe now are coming back. Oh, we're not—we're not, not going to fess <laughs> up to that. No way.
2: <laughs> no, but no damage.
3: That was the trip, Kate, where we went to Alice Springs just after the Lindy Chamberlain uh, story. And, Jim, would you do you know about the Lindy Chamberlain dingo story? Oh, is that the dingo ate my baby story? Yep. So we were there in Alice Springs just like several weeks later with a baby, with a baby. But in those days no one believed that the dingo had taken the baby so we had our baby outside and we said oh she'll be right you know was, no one ever believed that then on, on, on what i remember about that trip across from melbourne to alice was that after day one i looked down at kate's head and she had a head lice on her head you know and those were the days where it was a shame it's a very shameful thing to have head lice tim had obviously picked it up <laughs> and then i looked at anna's and she had a head full of curls and she had head lice and we were camping and we didn't know, we had to put up with the head lice for a couple of weeks. Everybody had it by the time we got to Alice Springs and we had to get everything out of the car because you, I don't know whether you even still do this, but you had to wash everything. So we had to use the campsite washing machine, etc. But anyway, that was a very adventurous trip, really.
2: Well, Kate to- had no hair, so she didn't get any head
3: Kind of like you, Dad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I got them anyway.
1: Um, just to wrap up the dingo story there though, for those people who are listening, who don't know what that was in the eighties, there was a baby who went missing and everyone thought that there was, that it was something the mother had done. And it went on for years and years and years and years. And she was saying, no, a dingo stole my baby. A dingo stole my baby. And it was eventually proven, but many years later she went to prison, right? And, uh, it was was eventually proven that it, it wasn't her. So that was in the news. I'm assuming a lot. And then oh, mum yes. and dad took me, a beautiful, perfect, could we say, baby uh, into the. <laughs> of
2: course. <laughs> and- <laughs> the same campsite.
1: <laughs> the, what? Really? Yeah. The, you, the Alice same. Springs cam- the wonderful. Ayers Rock campsite. That's just wonderful. Yeah. So, anyway, many, many years later, like when I remember the story breaking, it was found, she was released and it was found that she was innocent. But. <laughs> I guess then kind of moving on to when we were like kids, I I have so many memories of being in the uh, VW camper van with everybody. And like dad said, we don't stop. We didn't stop for anything. Like (laughs) the best times that we had, what we thought was most exciting was when Mum and dad said to us, well, looks like we're not going to make it to our destination in time. So we're going to have to do some night driving and we'd all go, yeah. Hey, Mum, can you tell us what it was like to? Because my memory was like the best fun ever driving through the entire night. Could you tell us what was actually happening there? and Where did we sleep?
3: Well, you stayed in your car seats. So we put your pajamas on, and we sometimes I so I'd get in the back and I'd prepare dinner for you. Hold on, on, I don't think- the, on the stove. Right, there's a stove yeah. in the back. You, you. While this, we were I, don't really wanna, I don't really want to. I don't really want to own
1: up to that, but I kind we of gave stopped. you some dinner. <laughs> so
3: unsafe. Um, dinner was arranged. We won't say, we won't say how. dinner. Was the disrupt. children
1: received dinner. The children yeah. received dinner. dinner, dinner
3: eating, without stopping. You, you were so excited and we knew that we'd pull the wool over your eyes, really. But you basically had your dinner and then you brushed your teeth and then you went to sleep and we kept driving through the night. If we needed to get somewhere, if we, you know, if, if we were behind schedule, that's what we did. But we made it into an adventure and um, really it was, it worked very well. <laughs>
1: I think this is sort of given an overview of how you raised us as kids, you know, like lots of adventures, lots of like, we'll figure it out as we go kind of thing. What do you think now you have six beautiful grandkids, two of whom are Canadians, Australians, and just amazing children. Won't mention which ones they are, but uh, you have six amazing grandkids. What do you see as different with children who are being raised nowadays and what What things? What's good and bad about those changes?
2: Well, I think there's a lot more structure to uh, parenting, and uh, uh, there's your children have to travel by law and by common sense in car seats. But there's also (laughs) there's also a lot more structure to trips when. because all of our grandchildren in the last month have been on camping trips and uh, the where they stay is prescribed much more and much, much more care and much more thoughts gone into it. I think that's probably inevitable, but uh, I guess you'll lose a bit of the adventure.
3: Well, we are we are delighted that our grandchildren all and our children all take their children camping a lot. We'd, we, I think we're delighted and hiking and um learning to ski and learning to surf I mean they've all they all all three families love outdoor activities and we we're delighted to see that very pleased to see that I think it's a great way to bring up children I think there's a lot more um, we didn't give our children as many snacks we were just talking about this this morning (laughs) I
1: think hold on tell us how you avoided that then because I do not want to give my kids so many snacks what do I do to stop just stop I don't remember having snacks as a kid either
3: we gave them three meals a day but Uh, And in between, you might have a piece of fruit. But there's not this. I feel now, and I'm not talking about any specific um, Uh families in particular. Uh But (laughs) this generation of children seem to have a multitude of snacks available to them through the day, and uh, that's just not what how we we didn't have commercial. You know, we didn't buy that sort of food anyway. It wasn't really available, these little packets of, you know, various things. We just didn't have that sort of food. So there may have been, you know, a piece of fruit or a piece of cheese or something through the day, but not the constant snacking. I think that's what's different.
0: We've even said there was there there wasn't even water bottles when we grew up. I think we were just chatting the other night, Kate. Like now yeah. our kids go everywhere with a water bottle. They each have their own. They go everywhere. And I was like, I think I was an adult. The first water bottle that I had, like my own reusable water bottle, like I never had one as a kid. Our parents were like, there'll probably be a fountain when you get there if you're thirsty. Like they just didn't really think about it. You're like, surely there'll be a water fountain on the way or yeah. I don't know, we'll stumble into somebody's house and find some water. But you like, you never really brought food or water for your kids. Like you said, you just mm-hmm. waited until you got to the destination.
1: Yeah. And like mom and dad would always say to us before we left the house, have a big drink of water. And then that's it. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. That's it.
2: Kate, to answer your question about, uh, what do you say when the kids ask for something? I used to, I used to always uh, have my own uh, store of lollies or sweets for the kids in the front. I know, dad has The rule rule was you weren't allowed to ask for them. If you asked for them, you didn't get them. Yeah, we'd sing, kind... we'd sing
1: songs to try and convince you. But yeah, it's true. Like you say, when we did these, even we'd pretty frequently do a car ride that was three and a half hours or three hours 45, maybe in the older van on a longer road. And we wouldn't need anything on that. Whereas now, I think if Jen and I were planning a trip, maybe it's because of the age our kids are as well. They are younger and we're trying to distract them from screaming their heads off in the car seats. But- um... <laughs> <laughs> we would have a lot of snacks on that kind of drive. Right. Jim? we did a whole episode about it recently. I,
0: I would have like an entire day's worth of food for sure. Like we were, <laughs> we were just up in Pemberton last weekend. And so, you know, it's about, it's almost about a three hour drive, you know, each way plus some a few extra snacks. Cause we're going to do some bike park stuff, but like, I literally packed up like, at least, like we could have been stranded overnight and we would have been <laughs> fine for food for sure. <laughs>
1: I mean, to be fair, that is something that can happen in BC, maybe not this week, but like in the winter, you can get stranded. Mum, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Jen and I both have full-time jobs. We're both working mums. We are around a lot of other mums who are also working full-time. You know, I think your career path is really interesting to pretty much every mum I ever speak to, every friend I've ever made who, who I tell them about your career path. It's really, they're really fascinated by it. So I know you wouldn't toot your own horn on this, but you started as a nurse. You returned to university after working as a nurse. You then went on to get your master's in archaeology. Then when I was two years old, returned to university again to become a lawyer and entered the legal profession at the age of 40 or 41, which I think to people, every single person I've ever told that story to, they are like, oh my God. Gosh. (laughs) Firstly, wow, that's impressive. Secondly, how on earth did she do that with little kids? Because I can barely hold things together and I'd love to pursue further education. I'd love to change careers. I'd love to make a change for my family that would be better for all of us, but I I can't get to it. Can you share what that was like, particularly the parts when you had kids, you know, and and that shift? I know you've talked to me about it before the shift from when you were wanting to get deeply into archaeology and how you had to kind of change that um, as a result of of being a parent.
3: Firstly, um, I think I couldn't have done any of it without... Pete's support Pete came from a, uh, a family where his mother worked unusually for her times she was she was the person who I credit with getting me to university when I didn't think I could do it at 20 when I married um she encouraged me to do that so that's and and, and Pete has always been enormously supportive with me with I, I went to university first when I was 20 before I had started university in in, in Australia then we went to Canada and I wasn't going to study I'd, I had Anna, the second child, almost as soon as we arrived, uh, and then I realised that I was actually going to get a bit bored and depressed over there. So I decided to go back to university, which was fully supported by Pete. That was a very tough couple of years doing a master's at a Canadian university with a with a tiny kid, right? Like you have a newborn Canada. baby. That
1: was her first two years of her life.
3: Yeah, I managed to find somebody in the building. We were in a a university building accommodation and there was somebody there who was actually a paediatric nurse who couldn't work in Canada. She looked after, so I would rush down to her apartment, leave the kids with her, breastfeed before I went, leave the kids, run down to the campus at U of T, go to my lectures, go to my um, tutorials, and run back and feed again, you know, whatever. So that we got through, that was a very tough couple of years at university. Then we came home. And then when you were very young, I really want, loved archaeology, wanted to do a PhD, but I soon realised it meant being away in remote areas in Australia. Uh, I'd have to be away. Well, I had three children by then. I would have to be away from home. So I could, that couldn't be done. So I had to change course and and find another profession. So um, I'm sorry, to-
1: by the way. <laughs> I'm no. sorry, because I know whenever you've talked about going on digs and archaeology, and even just now, the story you told about Mexico, you know, like that was something you were really into. And you couldn't, you couldn't do it because you chose to raise us. You chose to have us.
3: It was never, a, a, never a practical road for me, really. But yeah, with, again, with dad's, uh, you know, incredible support and, and, and his mother, um, I got into laws, you know, started law school and, and did four years at law school. Uh, and that was, that was a, you know, it was a tough time. So what I would do, I, I would, again, go down to my lectures and come back and be, you know, be a mother during the day and then as soon as Pete got home in the evening, I basically disappeared. So Dad took it, you know, played a large part in looking after your kids after, after, you know, after school, after after the evening meal, I would go down to, to the library, which wasn't all that far away, and study every evening and every weekend basically for four, you know, more more or less for four years. But we still had our camping holidays.
1: I think it's really interesting to hear this though because I hear a lot of parents of our age, kids with young kids, where the mother is by default, stepping back from her career and her passions and her interests because the father or the other parent, it's not always a mother and a father, but the other parent's career is further advanced. And so by doing that and by removing yourself from the workplace for many, many years, you lose the ability to get any further ahead anyway. So I think that model, as having seen the model of how dad supported you, mum in that and how it was never from what I could tell from being a kid and looking back as an adult, it was never that one career was more important than the other. And I think that that model is really crucial to women being able to actually build a career where they can you Mm. know, fulfil some of their interests and also contribute in a really significant financial way because they're able to keep it moving rather than having to take 10 years or 20 years
3: in some cases off work. Mm. No, I I think it has to be a, a team effort and it certainly was The other factor, I think, is being incredibly organised with food because food is, as you know, once I started in practice, I worked long hours. It wasn't considered, I couldn't mention at work that I had children. In fact, when I first went for my articles interviews, I was asked by one of the partners in a law firm, have you got children? And I had to say, well, yes, I have three. Well, what do you plan to do if a client comes in at 6 p.m.? And you've got to get home to your family. And I just replied, well, that's all sorted out. You know, that's all. That, what a that's jerk
1: in an interview. It's yep. not
3: even legal.
1: Anyway, I know. No, I'm, I'm, glad we, <laughs> it, I'm glad we've it had some of those
3: things. It wasn't that acceptable then, but I figured, look, what do I do here? Um, I need a job. I either, you know, arc up and say I'm not going to answer that question or I just deal with it and dismiss it almost. So that was fine, but I didn't take a job at that firm because I figured if they've got that, if there's that sort of attitude, it's not really where I want to be. But it wasn't acceptable in those days. I, I think it's probably a little bit the same still in law firms. It's very difficult to pursue a career as a mother in a law firm or in a law office. It's hard, you know, you've got just, it's just such hard work. And, you know, at six o'clock at night, you, you know, you, you're not, you're not expected to leave at six o'clock at night, which is when I left. And that was considered early because the men are often, and this is a little story I have to, I have to share there was a partner in this law firm that I worked and he used to come into my office at night. He had a stay-at-home wife and um, uh, he, he used to come and sit in my office and, try, you know, just for a chat at six o'clock because he didn't really want to go home to the five children and ask me about. Um He wanted to hang about the office and one day his wife phoned. She said to his, his assistant, could you tell him, tell my husband that I've cooked dinner, I've put it on the table, but sorry, the dog's got his dinner. And <laughs> There's nothing left for him at home.
0: Wow. <laughs> Probably in more
3: ways than one. There was, <laughs> was, a prof- there was, was definitely academic. nothing was, left. A- anyway, <laughs> um, so it was not, it, yeah, I guess in those days it wasn't that easy. But I think the, what I was going to say about food is that it's, you, needed to, you need to be very organized, I think, as a full-time worker and a full-time mother um, I used to organize the menus on the weekend. You probably remember me doing this, um, Kate, That I had always had the meals already organized and most of them cooked for the week because otherwise I couldn't afford to get home at seven o'clock at night and, and be thinking about what I'm going to cook and not have the ingredients so everything was prepared on the weekend. So the weekends were spent kind of planning and cooking and washing and ironing and yeah, just getting ready for the week.
2: Could I just put in a good word for uh for dads? To me, uh, looking after the kids while uh, Sue was uh, studying was was never a chore. I actually really enjoyed it, and the more I did it, the more I enjoyed it. The only problem I had was come November when Sue finished her exams, she would want to participate in uh, organising the weekend for the kids, and I'd, I'd had. Months of doing, uh, especially Sundays, organising things. I found it, you know, having having to share the uh, care of the kids on the weekends was was sometimes a little difficult, but it was good fun. We made up made up games with the kids, so and one of them was the magical mystery tours. Do you remember those, Kate? Mm-hmm. What I'd do is blindfold the kids, stick them in the car, uh, and then. Uh, I'd I'd drive somewhere. This is in the city. And I'd go round and round circles so they wouldn't know where we were. Then we'd stop and I'd get them all out of the car and march them along somewhere and have them standing there, then see if they could guess where we were. And uh, of course, it was damn near impossible. And uh, we'd go to like their great grandmother's grave in the cemetery. So hey look (laughs) and oh
1: (laughs) tell you what Jen we should do an episode about unusual outdoor um, outings for your kids have you considered taking them to a cemetery don't have a relative nearby never mind just adopt somebody (laughs) else such great memories of going to cemeteries blindfolded um probably car sick as well
0: I think today, if you think today, if we saw a bunch of children walking down the street blindfolded, like I think you would get stopped by <laughs> With somebody forcing putting sure. them in a car
3: and you get a kids. Man I don't want to. And you get.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure that would fly today.
3: That was another outdoor activity that you kids loved when we were down at our country house in Margaret River, when dad used to take you out doing the night walks, do you remember Kate? And you'd lie on the road and look at the stars.
1: You know, like a lot of our activities at the moment, like dad was sort of saying, our lives are feel a lot more structured. And even the idea of bedtime, Jen and I both have a similar view on it, where it's like, it's, it's okay to stretch bedtime, to have an adventure, to have a cool experience, to do something different, to mix up your week. But you know, a lot of parents have gotten into that sort of I think it's a bit of a trap where you think I have to do exactly the same routine every single night for bedtime. Or, I mean, and sometimes it's legitimate that kids are not sleeping through the night because they're very young or not young. Um, and sometimes it's really not and it's preventing you from having some pretty amazing experiences. Jen and I have had beautiful evenings at the lakes. You you joined us when you were here in Canada, Mum and dad, um, on like a Tuesday night. And that's something that for some people, they, they haven't even thought of. So the idea of taking your kids who are like eight, 11 and 13 out at 11:30 at night to look at the stars by lying on a road. <laughs> That's literally what we did. We lay on a road and watch the stars, and you'll never see more stars than you will from that house in Margareva. And that idea, I remember going back to school and people would be like, What did you do on your holiday? I'm like, Oh, you know, we went for night walks and that sort of thing, like looking at the stars at 1130 at night. And they're like, But you're eight. Like, that's uh, <laughs> but I think that like having that flexibility is something that you know we can continue to encourage with our kids. Yeah, I think it's a good
0: reminder. We may not be able to go back to like car seat free days or you know, cooking at moving vehicle, perhaps. <laughs> uh, we probably won't recommend those. But I think it's like it's like working in where can you find that kind of carefree fun? Like, how can we still have some of that space and some of that time to have simple adventures like at the end of the day outside, whether that is a big camping road trip across the country or just taking your kids on a mystery tour around the city? But maybe don't blindfold them uh, so you don't get pulled over um, and just kind of working some of that fun and some of that stuff back in. We might not be able to go back to the 50s childhood or to the 80s childhood but still trying to find that time outside where our children can have that kind of unstructured play and maybe a little bit risky. Maybe we won't send them off to make their own fires quite yet, Uh, but, you know, still working at a little bit of risk and a little bit of fun uh, for some of that play as well.
1: I think to sort of tie this all up here, you know, when I look at my siblings and myself and my approach to parenting now, I can see the impact of, you know, having grown up outside a lot and having camped a lot and having had these big adventures with both of you. And I know that that was not an easy thing to do when you're working full-time as a lawyer mum for example or dad also working full-time as a pediatrician like I know how hard you had to work to give us those experiences and those exciting trips to the cemetery and like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it all you know it pays off in the appreciation that I think I, I know that I have for the environment and the, actually the kind of field I went into. I chose to work in environmental conservation based on that connection to nature from an early age. So I know I know that it worked in our family and I know that you know all of those values that you instilled in us as kids they're they're things that we live and breathe now as adults. and it's really cool to, to hear all of this and how that's all progressed and also I think mum knowing, knowing that you were the example of what a working mum can look like. And again, I know that was not a simple thing, but like I said, every single person I've ever told about your career journey, particularly those who are mums are so impressed because they've had no role models. They've had no example that it's possible to have a career and have children in any possible way. And I was speaking to somebody just a couple of weeks ago who told me that. So, Thank you for that. Um, it's been really lovely to have both of you on the podcast tonight on your fiftieth wedding anniversary, which we is a, a milestone we all hope to achieve. It's an inspiration. I'm obviously pretty appreciative for everything that you have done for me. I love you very much, Jen. You don't have to say that you love my parents, but <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: I do really- <laughs> enjoy. I do enjoy my time with you very much, and we look forward to another
3: trip back to Canada soon. <laughs> yes, oh, we'll be we'll be back, Jen. We love coming to Canada. And we're so, you know, we love coming to see all of you guys, um, particularly Kate and Vince and the the girls, of course, and going camping with you all. It was great. And thank you for lending us your camping gear last time, by the way. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. (laughs) And we're loving your podcasts. Keep going, they're great, they're inspirational. Fantastic. Well done.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much to my parents, Sue and Peter LaSue for being here tonight. Um, If you would like to catch up on our episodes, you can go visit our website at www.getoutsidewithkids.com. You can find our Get Outside With Kids podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. You can also find us over on Instagram at Get Outside With Kids. We'd love to hear your messages over there. We'd love to hear how you're enjoying the show. And we'd love it if you can share these episodes with a friend. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Get Outside With Kids.